You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. We all cope with difficult self-discoveries differently. Perhaps you've never had one, but if you have, how did you cope? Did you see a counsellor? Did you drink more? Maybe you went on a meditation retreat. How about travelling to a war-torn country like Afghanistan to teach music? Because that's what my next guest did, and in the process has written an extraordinary book called Danger Music. Eddie Ayres, welcome to Kindling Conversation. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much. It seems quite an extreme decision to teach music in Afghanistan. (laughs) What could be extreme about that? Yeah, exactly. I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, Look, I know there's a lot in this book, and there are um, other reasons why you went to Afghanistan. But you had also been to the country previously. Yes, what drew you back to Afghanistan? Well, so I went back in uh, 20... I went, first of all, at the beginning of 2014, I think it was, and I just fell in love with the place. I mean, first of all, the country itself is unbelievably beautiful. You know, it's so high. They've got these enormously high mountains there, over 5,000 metres, and they've got desert, but then they've also got these incredibly lush valleys. And um, in a way, it's kind of like a child's drawing of heaven, That's what it seemed like landing, first of all, into Afghanistan, landing in Kabul. But then, of course, you know, with the uh, uh, the coalition invasion of Afghanistan, um, it very quickly becomes perhaps a child's drawing of hell in some ways because, you know, it's such a heavily militarized place. So those extremes were uh, just bewildering and captivating and sort of mesmerizing. And then... After that, of course, I fell in love with with the kids there because these these children have decades and generations of stress before them and after them, highly likely, and yet they embrace life with such glee and such strength. It's it's uh, you know they're like kids that I've actually never met before. Mm, I want to talk about the children, but um, one of the themes that comes throughout this book is that um, Afghanistan in some ways was the final tipping point in your transition to manhood. Mm. You realised that you were transgender years before arriving in Kabul. What was it about your experience there? Which I know this is hard because there's so much in the book, but what was it about your experience there that pushed you to actually take action? Yeah, well, it's a great question. So, yeah, I I just in brief, I realized that I was transgender uh, back in 2000. And um, at the time, I just simply felt that it was absolutely too hard that um, I would I would lose everything. And on top of that, what would my mum say? <laughs> and because uh, ultimately, sometimes I think it does actually come down to what would my mum say or what would my dad say? Um, so I've, I've thought at the time, I can do this. You know, I, I'm a, f- a very strong feminist that women don't have to have long hair and wear makeup and wear skirts and, you know, be that sort of classically feminine look that I can be the way I want to be and still be a woman. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried for 14 years and I was spiraling down into this really very severe depression. And it was at that point that I knew that I needed to throw everything off and do something dramatic, hence moving to Afghanistan. Yes, that is dramatic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think your mother probably would have preferred you just said, I'm going to transition. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as a mum, just saying. It's, it's true. In the end, she got both. So uh, yeah. <laughs> but that was bad luck for her. Um, so 
I think what happened with moving to Afghanistan was that at the time I actually didn't know that the transgender stuff would come up again. I really thought that I had it, you know, that I was okay. I was an androgynous lesbian and that was okay. Here in Australia, we can live between the genders quite happily. So what happened living in Afghanistan, where it's a very binary gendered society, I was shoved onto the feminine side, the female side, in a way that I hadn't been for such extended periods before. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And that constant reminder of me being female meant that my transgender knowledge just rushed up to the surface again in a very dramatic way, actually, in a way that I knew that I just couldn't ignore it anymore. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Eddie Ayres. He's the author of Danger Music. And this is where Eddie, formerly Emma Ayres, you may know the name from Classic FM on the ABC, where she was presenting for many years. Eddie went to Afghanistan and decided that was the place where he was going to teach children. Um, now, I wanted to focus on the kids because mm. that's what a lot of the book, most of the book is about. You now still teach children. What is it that you enjoy about teaching kids music? Well, first of all, music really is the universal language. I think maths and music are the universal language. And it's uh, not only, one would hope, universal, but also it's a, a global language. You know, you play a joyful tune to somebody anywhere in the world and they're probably going to smile. And teaching someone to play an instrument, and it can be any instrument, it doesn't have to be the violin or the cello as I taught, but any instrument, it allows a child to forget about where they are. Very much so in a physical sense, because music is a completely other world. And I think it's the only art in that sort of way where you can let the physical world go and enter this world of sound. You can literally close your eyes to the world and allows you, your ears to open. Um, apparently there's, I don't know how true this is, but uh, I have heard it said that sound is the last sense to die as we die. And I wonder whether perhaps it's also the first sense to open. And it, this might be complete claptrap, and I'm no, sorry no, if it is. No, no, you're right. You are right. Is so, it right? Yes, because we've spoken to oh. music. Um, there's a great one called Anita Collins who says yep. that sound is the first the first thing that babies hear and how they develop language and everything. Oh, so you were right. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've, for me as a musician, music goes absolutely into the deepest possible recesses of literally our atoms, that it vibrates within us. And so by helping anybody, I mean, a child, an adult, anybody, to be able to create music for themselves, you are literally changing that person. And it, it can be on a minuscule level at first, but, you know, you play an instrument for hours a day and days a week and weeks and a month, and over the course of years, in the end, that person has actually changed. They've physically changed. And hopefully, because of their own physical change, that also means that mentally they've changed. And through that, they can elicit change around them. Now, with that in mind, the kids that you were teaching in Kabul, they were leading 
very complicated lives. Mm, especially deeply complicated. Yeah, yeah, especially compared to what yeah. we experience here. Yeah. It's such a violent and chaotic city. Mm. Crowded. Crowded lives. And yeah. with with that knowledge, and I know your understanding grew over the year, year of what um, your kids that you were teaching, what they were going through, with that mission you had in mind, with that understanding that you believed that music could change them and then hopefully change the world around them, how hard is it to stay true to that idea when the reality of violence, the reality of things that are way beyond your control start interrupting that process? Mm. Well, I think it's that sort of classic thing of knowing what you can change and accepting what you can't change and doing what you can. And in my own tiny way, I did what I could. And Dr. Sarmast, who is an Afghan-Australian who refounded the school uh, back in 2010, you know, he has devoted his life to this school. And so his work will carry on. And one of the students that I taught, this ex- extraordinary young man called Artesh, who I write about in the book, um, Artesh was wise beyond his years, as, as so many of these children were. And Artesh said that Afghanistan will change and that music will help to change Afghanistan, but it may be as slow as water changing a rock. Wow. And How for old us, was he when he said oh, that? Like 15. <laughs> yes, extraordinary. <laughs> extraordinary guy but you know for us westerners i think patience is is difficult oh yeah it is not a virtue (laughs) you are talking to mainly parents at the moment (laughs) so we know yes and so that idea of patience and and waiting you know generations and generations for things to change that's what we have to do and i was talking to a diplomat the other day about afghanistan and asking them about you know what they thought of of how long it would take before Afghanistan is a is a truly safe com- country and a functioning country, um, and she said, "Yeah, probably fifty years." Wow. Yeah. Another thing about children who are going through what these kids were going through, it, it seemed anyway in the book, yeah. is that those pressures can come out in different ways. Yes. Now, most parents know with young children that if they have a tantrum or something like that, generally something else is happening, but it doesn't make it any easier to deal with. Yeah. You are constantly dealing with children who appear to be moody, disinterested, rude even, oh. disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but you also write about an understanding you had of where that was coming from. Mm. How challenging was that to keep tapping into their experiences to understand what is essentially a very difficult teaching situation? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, probably one of the hardest in many ways. Well, I began quite quickly and from necessity to understand a, a small amount of what these kids were dealing with. First of all, many of them were born into huge families. And so they never got any quiet time. They would be sharing beds with their family. So they, let alone not having a room of their own, they often didn't even have a bed of their own. Um, plus the society there is a very sort of crowd-oriented society. So people love to have a chat, a cup of tea and a chat. So it's very rare that you would see an Afghan on their own just being able to have quiet time. Um, so there was little time and space for reflection And so what happened with these kids is that they would come to school and they'd be 
either wildly in a bad mood or wildly hysterical and in this astonishingly good mood. And it was very rare that you would find a child who was actually just sitting in the middle. And so to pull them in you know, from either side and to bring them back to the middle, which is where you kind of have to be for, um, for good learning, um, that was a daily challenge. But also to be aware that a wildly happy child, that wild happiness is actually coming as a spring back from them being wildly upset about something. And uh, one example of that was that one day at school, Parliament is quite close to the school as the flow, uh, as the crow flies, as the flow cries. <laughs> and um, uh, there was an attack on Parliament and you could hear the sounds of the bombs very, very clearly at school. And the kids were terrified. I was terrified, but I was the teacher. So, you know, I had to look after them. So um, we gathered for our regular lesson of theory and we did our theory work and I talked to them very calmly and, you know, tried to just get them to calm down. And in the meantime, frantically looking around the room of you know, where we could hide if the Taliban did choose to attack. And I just was looking at the piano and wondering how many kids I could hide behind the piano. So there was this day, you know, where kids were literally crying in the corridors and freaking out from terror. And the next day, I was so surprised, but if I thought about it, I shouldn't have been, that the kids came to school. I was expecting them to be rather somber, but actually it was the complete opposite. They were wildly happy. And both ways, they were very, very difficult to teach. Did you ever experience that emotion like you know you were there for a long time yeah and it became is something that I my emotions you know I'm I'm English by birth and (laughs) and I think you know I spent my first uh, 25 years in England so um, my my emotions tend to be fairly tempered (laughs) but I did notice as the longer I spent in Afghanistan they just began to swing Mm. wider and wider and and you know, you swing one way, you have to swing back the other way just as far. Mm. And that's definitely what happened to me there, which is very dangerous. I mean, it's for your mental health. It's very dangerous, I think. You do write in the book about, um, I can't exactly remember the situation, but something like that happening. And you, um, first example was you you tried to talk to them about theory and and ground them almost in music. But at other times when you'd had a really distressing situation, either you and the other teachers or you would grab a student Mm. and you would sit them down and listen to music. And you have very specific examples of music that helped you. Um, obviously, it's such an integral part of your life. I can see how that would calm you down. Yeah. Did it have the same effect on the kids? Absolutely. So there's a, a couple of cases. Uh, one where this uh, young, wise man, Artesh, he'd come to school and he'd, uh, he called me Teacher Emma. There was Emma back then. And he came to school and he said, Teacher Emma, I saw such a terrible thing this morning. I saw a man who'd been stabbed and he was on the street and there was blood pooling around him and he couldn't do anything and so he just had to walk on and he came to school and he was in a terrible state and there was nothing I could do like I couldn't the propriety stopped me hugging him Um, and so I just thought well the best thing to do is just be with him and for us to listen to music together so there's this one amazing composer called Arvo Pert P.A. 
with a little umlaut. RT, he's an Estonian composer who writes incredibly simple and deeply calming music. So we sat and listened to some music by him and that really, really helped. Um, and then the other time was when the kids in my theory class of all things were, I don't know what had got into them and they're a little bit older, like 15, 16. They were just quite unteachable. Um, <laughs> a lot of the girls lived together in a hostel so I think that their cycles tied up. So That's I, always I re- dangerous. Well look, I, I remember <laughs> from my own menstrual cycle, not many men can say this, that um, you know, there were days where you would just be gloriously happy and then you know sometimes there'd be those terrible down days and angry days and all those sort of things um so i don't know whether it was perhaps linked with that but these kids were just bouncing off the walls and so i played them um quite an old piece of as it happened to be church music by um a guy now i'm just trying to think of his name Oh, Tallis, that's right, uh, Thomas Tallis. And it's a piece for voices alone, but it's 40 voices. And it's one of those sort of pieces where if you heard it on the radio, you would just virtually drop what you were doing and you would just stand there entranced for the whole of the piece because it is that type of music. And it's true, it worked for them. They calmed down, they sat down, they listened, they answered questions about the music and they walked out of the room much calmer and hopefully more ready, more open to learning, at least in their next class. So many parents are going, I have to get this book to find out all this calming music for my children. Um, Look, eventually everything combined became too much for you to continue to teach in Kabul. Um, But what an experience, what Mm. a year, such incredible connections with those children. What did it actually feel like leaving Afghanistan? Well, look, I have to say... I was greatly relieved. Um, something that I write about in the book, which is uh, rather a long story and and too difficult to go into here, but something very extreme happened at the school which made me realise that this was not my culture. I would never understand this culture, no matter how many years I stayed in Afghanistan. And ultimately I needed to come back to Australia and to start medically transitioning. So there was that sense of deep relief. I was also incredibly grateful and I will always be grateful to those people in Afghanistan, first of all for, you know, having me and inviting me often into their homes and and very much into their hearts. And, of course, a huge amount of sadness because I developed very, very close relationships with many people there. And you know, relationship that you have with your students as a music teacher is is something that is, I think, deeper than perhaps a classroom teacher because often you're teaching these kids one-on-one and you're teaching music, you're teaching them to express themselves and you often, you know, have to sort of be a little bit of a psychologist, <laughs> you have to be a bit of a PE teacher. Well, you certainly did have to do that in Kabul, that's for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, you have to approach music teaching from as many different angles as you can possibly imagine in the classroom. And so you really do develop an incredibly strong, close relationship. Obviously, absolutely, strictly, you know, morally boundaries acceptable and appropriate close but nevertheless it's a very close relationship and so the thought that I will probably never see these kids again you know unless they come out of Afghanistan you know that's that's a huge sadness 
in my life. But I think that's also a measure of what it is to be transgender, that um, that the things that we have to let go of to be who we are, you know, that it's possible that if I didn't have the transgender stuff that I needed to do, then I I could have... I could have stayed in Afghanistan for longer. You could yeah. have kept pushing through it. Yeah. Gosh, that's interesting because you yeah. do talk about letting go and moving on, which yes. I think is probably one of the hardest things to do in anyone's life. Yes. Yeah, to accept that you've loved something or someone and know that it's over. I mean, it's it's hard in any mm. end of a relationship, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And also with the kids, though, you do speak um, about, I'm going to get his name wrong now, Atesh. Yes. Yes. Um, and the hope you have that you might one day see him here because he's such an extraordinary talent. Yes. Um, you do write a lot about, obviously, the, the, how well the kids improved. Mm. And I was always in the back of my mind, I was wondering, is Eddie being generous? Because, you know, when you go to countries that are struggling um, and the education system isn't so great, yep. that you sometimes feel, you know, people might not be that talented, but no, you're giving them credit. These, No, not at all. These, these kids are truly talented and they work so hard. Mm. I, I have to say, I would like... My kids here in Australia, the kids I teach, to work as hard uh, yeah, as the Kabul kids. Seriously. It's not going to happen, yeah. though, Eddie. I'm sorry. I'm uh, speaking as oh, a no, it is. It is. <laughs> he goes, I will get there uh, if I you're will. listening, students. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, Eddie, I could talk to you all afternoon. It's such an incredible book. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me on. That was Eddie Ayres. He's the author of Danger Music. As I mentioned, it's an incredible book. Um, it's not always easy reading because it's a tough place, Afghanistan. But if you'd like more information, we'll put links up on our website, kindling.com.au. Eddie, if you are in Sydney, um, you're in for a treat if you can get to Glee Books this afternoon at 6 o'clock. If you're in Sydney, sorry, the rest of Australia, but Eddie will be speaking at Glee Books. So just head to their website if you'd like more information on that. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.